Hey, what's up, guys? It is Thursday, uh, September 14th, and this is Rafael Garcia back again for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today we have a special guest, but before we get to introducing who he is, I always want to say thank you to my uh, partner in crime, Shawan Humes, for joining me for another week. How you doing there, sir? Doing great as always. Good to be back on the show. Good stuff, man. And I appreciate you doing what you do because you've always helped bring in some good guests for us on our show. And today we have one and only, we have Jason Adams here. And we're going to talk about MMA in a couple of different ways. So as always, I appreciate everyone taking their time to listen to us today. Be sure to like our podcast here on YouTube, share our content here. And we are also, where else are we from? Uh, we are on Stitcher, YouTube, uh, SoundCloud. And I we're on iTunes? In iTunes, yes. There we go. Okay, cool. You always know this better than I. But first and foremost, uh, Jason, thank you for taking some time out for us this week and joining us on the show tonight. We appreciate having you here. Uh, my pleasure. Always happy to talk about fighting. <laughs> As we always are, man. That's what we do every single week and probably talk about it more when I'm not even on the show. So... <laughs> First and foremost, man, like, why don't you give us a little bit of, of your background? Where are you? How did you get involved in mixed martial arts, and, and what do you do within the sport right now? Um, you know, I started out pretty much like everybody, uh, just originally just watching it. I, I go all the way back. I watched the, the first UFC. Um, and then how I got more involved in it, kind of a roundabout story. Uh, I was trying to lose a bunch of weight one day started working with some female trainers and then it got me covering like women's fitness and then MMA being my love. I'm like, all right, I'm going to cover that too. And it progressed to where I started going to uh, like, you know, small local shows and covering it for my website and all that stuff. And then started becoming friends with people, fighters and, and so on and so forth. And then it kept building until one day, uh, couple of females asked me to manage them and I didn't have a clue what the hell they were even talking about um you, you tell me manager I'm, I'm thinking Mr. Fuji outside walking around with a cane um so but they talked me into it and you know I was only going to do two or three just those ones that initially asked me and Somehow it's accidentally grown to 20 females that I'm managing. Um, I have fought myself once, but we'll ignore that and not talk about that. That wasn't so good. Um, and so now I just I manage 20 fighters, and that's pretty much where I'm at now. So let's start there because you talked about a couple of different things, and I really do believe that this uh, show will be talking heavily about uh, w women's MMA because there are a couple of different things that I want to talk to you about, especially looking at the uh, Shevchenko-Nunez fight from this past weekend. But who are some of the women that you've worked with in the past? Uh, well, to name them all would take forever. Uh, so... I use the the more known pros that I work with right now. Um, and if you watch the last Invicta, uh, Jillian DeCourcy, she was in the first fight. She won her fight. Uh, I've been with her since she was a four and one amateur. Um, and you know, Rachel Wiley, uh, 
she fought on an Invicta a while back. Uh, that was her only pro fight, but me and her started together after, I want to say, her, her third amateur fight, and if she's listening, she'll correct me in a text later, I'm sure. Uh, and then got uh, Pam Sorensen, who's one of the top 145s in Invicta, uh, Stephanie Skinner, who we actually just signed a multi-fight deal with, uh, Combate Americas. Uh, and then one, she's not really well known yet, uh, Monica Franco. She's from Hawaii. She's not known because she's, I mean, she's a 1-0 pro. Uh, but you'll never find anyone who's fought a better competition as an amateur than her. Uh, Angela Lee, Raquel Paoluhi, Rachel Ostevich. So she's not name-wise up there yet, but she she's going to be. So those are some of my more well-known ones. Um, so, That's an impressive yeah. list of girls she's already fought. Uh, isn't Andrea Lee the uh, LFA champion? That's Andrea Lee. This is And then Angela Rachel Ostevich, she's on uh, the Ultimate Fighter this season, isn't she, if I'm yes. correct? Yeah. So that's um, some pretty tough competition. She didn't fight Andrea Lee. She fought Angela Lee. Angela's the okay, one okay. that uh, holds the title for 1FC. Okay. There okay. you go. There you go. Don't worry. I confuse them too, though. So. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I actually did the same thing earlier this week. So, yeah, I saw one person's name. And I, thought, I thought they were talking about one of the others. But let's talk about your position within women's mixed martial arts. What um, And probably the first question I always think of off the top when, when I begin thinking about this is what are some of the differences you see between managing women fighters and male fighters, if there are any? Um, I, I probably, along with everyone else, have some maybe preconceived notions that there will be some differences there, but what are some of your initial thoughts on if there are any differences between managing women and men in, in MMA? Oh, there, there definitely is. There's, there are quite a few differences. You know, and you know, I'll use I'll use Rach Wiley as an example. Um, when she was an amateur, you know, two and one, three and one, um, she would have fights where she would have as an amateur more sponsors than the male pros on the same card. And I could sit here and pretend it's because I had something to do with it. The reality is, you know, Rach person is her personality makes her marketable. And she was just so much easier to get sponsors for. And as much as I hate to say that appearance plays a part in it, we, we all know it does. And, you know, you take, take local fighters, because at the time she was a local fighter, you take 10 male local fighters and you line them up. Nine times out of 10, if I tell you, you know, pick out Joe Smith, you can't tell me who Joe Smith is. But if I take 10 female fighters who are at a local level and line them up and I tell, you know, a, a, a fan who pays enough attention, you know, point out Rach Wiley, he's going to point Rach Wiley out. I think part of that is because there's so, you know, so many fewer female fighters maybe. But I, I think the females are just at a, at a local level and a building their career level are... I don't want to. I don't want to say it in a bad way to insult the males, but they're easier to identify. And then you have a bigger fan base. Granted, half of that fan base is, let's face it, creepy dudes, but they still have the fan base, and that's what sponsors want. So, I think that that in one aspect that is a makes it a whole lot easier. 
that makes it look like I do less because, you know, I don't have as hard a job, but it's, it's the reality of it. And then you, you do have the sponsors who you have to be careful with, with the females. Uh, they want to sponsor the female, but they expect, uh, they, they have different expectations as opposed to what they'd be expecting from a male fighter. Uh, you, you sponsor a male fighter, or if you're managing a male fighter and you get a sponsor, the sponsor doesn't often say, you know, how much to put my logo on her butt. The females, the sponsor, I get that. You know, they, they sometimes say that. I would like to be on her butt. And it's an unfortunate thing, but it does exist. So honestly, for me, like, and I always say, I don't do this to make a living or anything. I do it to like look out for my friends. And, and part of that is there's a lot of creepy ass dudes <laughs> that you got to look out for. And that's honestly, that's to me, the most important thing that I do is keep the creepy dudes and keep the shady dudes away from people I care about. You know, Jason, um, two points when you were just saying that, because I remember I was talking to a couple of fighters about it, and the first point is actually more of the legitimate one. The first one would be that she was saying that being a female fighter, while it's a little bit more difficult, in a lot of ways, it's easier to get ahead because since there's fewer, the divisions are all are all a lot more lot thinner, it allows you to, A, move up the ranks a little bit, uh -huh. Had two or three professional fights, you might go and get in the UFC, win two or three, and find yourself, you know, a top ranked bantamweight, strawweight, whatever. You can find yourself in in the top ten very quickly. Whereas a male fighter might have to win four, five, six fights to get an equal ranking. So on top of having that appeal of standing out because there's not that many female fighters, you also have that legitimacy because you yes. know you're like nine and one, and now you're number five ranked in the UFC. Where there's a guy who has a similar record in the UFC, and he's barely hanging on the top 15. Oh, absolutely. I, that's that's 100% accurate. There's, <coughs> excuse me, you know, I used to work for a, a local promotion here called uh, NAAFS. It's where uh, Stipe Miosic and Jessica I and all them came up through. And, you know, I'd see guys there, they're, you know, 10 and 1, not getting a sniff of a major promotion. And then you see it. There's there's girls who are 2 and 0 and 3 and 0. And even pro debuts, debuting with Invicta and Bellator and, and One FC and, and all those promotions, and so that's that's one hundred percent accurate. It's... Yeah, and the second point is, and and I know I'm not a creepy dude. I'm a big fan <laughs> of women's MMA, but this is going to make me sound like when when I told you this story, I was watching actually Bellator with a couple of my friends, and there's a fighter Emily Ducote, uh -huh. and she's won like a bunch of fights. She's a very good fighter, young fighter coming coming up, getting her seasoning and her skills down. But my friends are watching this, and it's a high-level fight. She's pulling an upset, you know, putting a beating on this girl. And everybody keeps asking me, all the guys in there are like, her shorts are really tight. Is she wearing a thong? And I'm like, how are y'all <laughs> even thinking about this in the middle of the fight? So when you tell me a sponsor wants to put something on her butt, on a, on a girl's butt, I'm not saying it's right, but I understand that logic because there's so many guys oh, yeah. who, who watch fights, like the, the Ronda Rousey and the Misha Tate fight. There were so many people making little gifts and memes, and I was like... Y'all are you're making a, a farce of this very high-level contest it's, because y'all want to, you know, like, be creepy and weird. I get why some of the sponsors want it. Like, I'm not going to lie. When, when me and Jillian, when, when she signed with Invicta and we were going over ideas, 
for her sponsors. I, you know, I told her and she understood. You know, I, I'm not going to use real dollar values, but making up a number here, I'll just say, all right, $100 for this. And if they want to be on your ass, it's 150 it, it, It's just, and, 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 and looking at a female and watching them fight, sometimes it, you can notice someone is, is nice looking. You know, it's, so I, I don't think guys that are watching a fight and say, hey, she's, you know, she's beautiful or all this, that, that's not creepy at all. It's just, it's a natural instinct. Um, you know, I'll use Rach. I'm, I'm not stupid. Rach Wiley's a beautiful girl. Half of her fans were probably fans because of that. But the other half, they do notice she might have been attractive, but they also know, also notice that that girl can knock your head off. So it's it's a balance, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with just looking and thinking a girl's beautiful. But respect the fact that she done busted her ass to get where she is. And if you're going to comment on all her Facebook pictures and just say, that's sexy, that's sexy, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, go ahead and also say, by the way, great job in your last fight. I really liked how you were stuffing that those takedowns or whatever. So you definitely touched on a on a lot of important things there, and I mean you see it, you see it often. Like even like I even noticed where I was watching the fights this past weekend, com- comments that were made when Ashley Lee and uh, Sarah Morales were mm-hmm. were fighting each other. So you do definitely see those situations a, a lot. Do you also see? Um, Opportunities you mentioned, like the sponsorship opportunities that some women may see outside of the men. Do you also see opportunities that for advancement or whatever? Like I think of when we think of like some of our our bigger name women, like a Fleece Herrig or a Michelle Watterson. You know, like Michelle Watterson was just recently signed to IMG. Um, IMG, excuse me, WME IMG, who also are the owners of the USC. She was put in a position to main event in her. She main event her second or third mm-hmm. USC fight, which is a situation that a lot of other fighters don't see. So it was her second. Her second it, fight. It was a yeah. second fight, correct? And, and she was the main event there. So you see these opportunities getting larger and larger for female fighters and is this really indicative of the white male audience that is are that are like the main viewers of MMA on a weekly basis? I I you know like how do I word this? It's I, I think it is if you're the UFC you are looking for viewers and I think that does a that, that plays a part in it and I, I love Michelle Watterson. She used to co-host a, a podcast for me. Um, so I, I love Michelle. So I don't want to say she didn't, you know, I'm not going to say she didn't deserve that opportunity because then I'm kind of, mm-hmm. and, and Michelle, Michelle's well, right. legit. She, she's a former champion too for an yeah, Invicta, Mich- So she's a very skilled and experienced yeah, fighter. Michelle's legit. That goes without saying. Yeah. But then I, I think though the problem is though, is when they're doing that, the fighter just sees it as a great opportunity. Like, yep, I'm going to take that. And I think eventually you start running the risk of really screwing over the fighter and kind of damaging her because you're going to start giving her these bigger and bigger opportunities that she might not be ready for. And that's when I think it starts having a, a negative effect. So it's like I see why the UFC does stuff like that, and I see why promotions do stuff like that. 
I just, and, and I think that's going to keep going. Um, I, I honestly, I, I think it's going to keep doing that. I just hope that the fighters have the right people, coaches, teammates, managers, whatever, looking out for them and willing to say, that's a great opportunity now, but is it a great opportunity for you long-term? And I don't think everyone does. You know, I, I know you're not, you might not feel comfortable saying the name. I'm not connected to these fighters, so I can, I can <laughs> state my opinion since I'm not connected to some of these people. But uh, Jessamyn Duke and yes. uh, Paige Van Zandt were two examples of girls who had some talent but kind of got thrown in the deep end because they had a certain amount of appeal. And in mm -hmm. the case of Jessamyn Duke, I felt that she had some potential. She just needed to fight at a lower class. Instead, they threw her into UFC, and yep. she summarily got, you know, kind of beaten out of it. Paige Van Zandt went on a run fighting kind of second-tier girls. But right. then when they, they just threw her in with an elite girl, you saw the gap in her skills and the gap in her experience. They basically caught, the, you know, when she fought Rose, where she just took, like, almost four and a half rounds of a beating before being finished. And it's like because she has that appeal, because she has a look, because she has kind of a a little bit of a personality that appeals to a, a broader scope of people, they, ha they had no choice but to push her because there's, you're advertising right. her so much, you're putting her on main cards so much right off the bat. Right. How do you justify having her in these positions if you're not having her fight a certain caliber of person? So I understand exactly what you're saying because I've talked to some fighters where I'm like, I don't think that's a good fight for you. Not because you can't fight, but given your experience and where you're at and who they're trying to get you in again, that, right. that seems like it's going to be worse for your, your, your career because A, you might lose, and B, the way you might lose might be damaging to you, your career's, the perception of your career, and actually your physical health, depending on how punishing a fighter the person you're facing is. Right. Uh, with Jess, you know, I'll talk about Jessamine. Um, when Ultimate Fighter, the one that she was on, when that, right when that wrapped up, um, I, I don't want to say names and talk about who trained with who or anything like that, but I know because I was there and I watched her train with a, a female that's currently in the UFC when Jessamine was just coming off that show and training with a fighter that a lot of people thought was a future title contender in the UFC and Jessamine legit held her own and on the ground and everyone thinks Jessamine they think you know her stand up and everything Jessamine is legit on the ground too but they were too much in a hurry and she was, you know, tight with Rhonda, so they want to make Rhonda happy, so they're going to give Jessamine the opportunity. The worst thing Jessamine could have done, I'll go ahead and say it and piss somebody off if it does, whatever. The worst thing she ever did is go out there to California and train with those people constantly. Going to train with them once in a while, okay, but being out there full-time, she became too associated with them, and... To me, that's part of why she got fast-tracked, and she got fast-tracked into fights she was not ready for. I mean, that's that opens up a, a, even like a whole even larger conversation because there's the the rumor, I guess, the growing rumor that all four of them are going to move into professional wrestling with right. Shayna Baszley, uh, Marina Shafir, Ronda, and Jessamine. And I was listening to another podcast the other day, and... I think the, the the commentary was like you know we're looking at a situation where we could have four women well actually eight women in a ring four women on one team where three right. of them have never had a professional wrestling match before all based off of um, who they know so right. 
that could be a bad situation. So I see how so that be, could they're being rushed again. Basically, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, they're being rushed again, unfortunately. But and you know what? Here's my problem with that. And you know, I used to be diehard wrestling fan. I I got Eddie Guerrero's grave tattooed on my arm. I don't watch it anymore. My problem with that is I understand that WWE is just like USC. It's all about what makes money and ratings and, and all that stuff. Um, but my thing is, is CM Punk comes and fights in the USC, and a lot of people don't like it. So he's taking away an opportunity from somebody else because he's never done it before. Well, WWE, okay, it's all work. It's all scripted. But there's a lot of people that have been wrestling and work busting their asses for 10, 15 years for that same opportunity. And I don't hear anyone say Rhonda and Jessamine and all them are taking away somebody else's opportunity. That's an excellent point. I, I've actually made that point before on Twitter and I made it I made that point in other in other regards when it comes to movies or acting when a lot of MMA fighters they said Kimbo Slice, he didn't earn his stripes, but then you want to go and do a movie and you're not a trained right. actor. You wanna be a you you get to be on a WrestleMania in appear in the main event. You're not a trained wrestler. But right. here you are getting paid to do something that other guys, like you said, have worked 10 or 15 years to get to that point. But right. it, it's also, like you said, that aspect of that appeal and that salesmanship of it, where Ronda's a former UFC champion. They're all former MMA fighters. Shayna Baszler is a former MMA fighter and does wrestling and kind of hoping that they can bridge that gap and bring the, uh, bring the audience over, similar to the way that the WWE's audience kind of follow Brock over to the UFC. They're right. trying to... Trying, trying to make that even exchange. And me and Raphael talk about that quite often because the two sports, even though one's scripted, it's, it's very close. A lot of the MMA guys take a lot from the wrestlers as far as mic skills, presentation, kind of their whole, like, you know, Ric Flair and Conor McGregor. Right. Conor McGregor kind of does a, a different kind of Ric Flair, but it's very Ric Flair-ish. Oh, absolutely. And they, and they, they imitate each other, and they help to expand their fan bases because the fan bases aren't, aren't, the age group isn't that far off between the two. And and not even that, but I mean, just like certain lingo. Um, now, a lot of people in MMA say an interview is cutting a promo. Well, where did cutting a promo come from? It came from W from pro wrestling. And when a guy's trying to act like a mean guy on, on Twitter and stuff, they say he's you know being a heel to get heat. Heel, baby. Those are all terms that came from pro wrestling, and, and MMA people are using them now. It's, and I'm sorry, but the people who say call, I, I won't swear anything, but the MMA people who call it that fake BS, it's fake. All right. But you're getting your, your, your rear end kicked still taking all those bumps and doing all that stuff. So I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent and I'm kind of losing my point, <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah. Shane, I'll excuse. Shane has always loved pro wrestling, so like to me, it's I mean, cool. it, it, she's looked great. Like she's looked great in the May Young Classic and in the other events that she's done. So I think it's kind of a it's a it's a different conversation there. It's kind of like right. it, that. The, in my opinion, Shayna coming over to pro wrestling is kind of like Brock coming over to WWE. Uh, excuse me, to UFC. He had a strong skill set right. that allowed him to do that. Shayna has the the same thing, so it kind of correlates in that fashion. And it's not like this is like the first time there's, you know, people, a lot of people don't know how many 
MMA people have, have done pro wrestling in Japan. Yeah, true. Well, Ken Shamrock did it here too, but Don Fry's done pro wrestling. Josh Burnett did has done pro wrestling. Kimo did pro wrestling. It, it's yeah, it's Stephen Bonner and Tom Lawler are doing it now too over yeah. here. Uh, so like, there's definitely a lot of crossover there. Um, I wanted to talk to you too about something else as well because uh, it, it kind of segues into. UFC 215 main event with Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. I, I personally do believe that the UFC is more akin to promote people who look a certain way. And this goes for the men and, and women because like I'll use Sage Northcutt as an example or uh, Cody Garbrandt as an example as well too. Men who look a certain way who are more quote-unquote appealing to the fan base or more recognizable to the fan base they get prime placement the same thing with um the female competitors right. it's unfortunate though when it's so obvious like i looked at ufc 215 and the way that that fight was promoted you saw very little clips of nunez's first win over shevchenko right that could even have been used as a way to talk about shevchenko and her redeeming herself from that fight but it was almost nil on that when when Nunez fought uh, Ronda Rousey. 98% of the promotion was Ronda Rousey, and maybe 2% was right. Amanda Nunez. Can you talk a little bit about that and how often you see that in women's MMA? Uh, that happens constantly. And I'm not even, like, even, you know, I've had uh, matchmakers, you know, talking to me and, and talking about how off the air, I'll tell you the promotion. I won't say it on yeah. the air, but saying how, you know, they're looking for a certain look from the fighters that they they're, they want to sign. It's unfortunate, and I, I I don't think it's it's right. But at the same time, I cannot honestly sit here and say if I was running a business that as much as I want to like hundred percent say I'd be, you know, perfectly legit and it's all about the skill. I can sit here and say, I hope I would keep it all about the sport and not about appearance, but I don't think honestly, anyone can hundred percent say that. Well, that Dave, means... let me ask you a question. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, just want, I want to ask you a question because me and Rafael have gone back and forth about this with men and women, but my whole thing is like fighters will complain about so-and-so is getting an opportunity because she's pretty, because she's she's not that skilled, or she's not the best. But my, it's the same thing. Like when people kind of call it Conor McGregor, he's not the best. Well, if he's not the best, and you want to be the best, and you want this sport to be taken legitimately, then you shouldn't be ca calling out a lesser fighter. You're calling them out because it's a business, and you want to get paid. And the same people who are bashing the pretty girl or the the uh, the guy who talks a lot of trash, they're still they're the same fighter trying to get a fight with that person so they can exactly. get their career high payday. So it's like you're kind of you're kind of you're saying you're making a point, but your point gets undercut because you're falling in line. Oh, the UFC is pushing them. Well, why do you keep saying their name trying to get a fight with them if you're trying to prove the legitimacy, legitimacy of the sport? Right. Fight the best girl. Don't fight the most attractive girl. All right. And you, there's a lot of people saying they wanted to fight Paige. And, yeah. and I'm talking fighters who were way more skilled than Paige wanted to fight Paige. Um, so it happens. That being said, the UFC, though, I mean, Amanda and Valentina, it's quite clear who they wanted to win. And that I do have a problem with because you, you don't see, you know, 
Bud Selig or whoever the hell's the baseball commissioner now being so obvious that he wants the Yankees to win the World Series. UFC made it, to me, makes it so obvious who they want to win the women's fights. And that I have a problem with. Um, you can secretly want who you want to win, but, but don't make it so obvious because to me, the whole promotion for that fight was insulting to Amanda. What, what um, would be the other side of that, though? Like, like they, let's say they wanted Misha to beat Amanda. She beats, and even though even though it's working against her, they're not promoting her per se. You're still getting the biggest fights possible, and if you keep right. winning them, you're still making top end money. Like I'm not saying it's yeah. right, but it's like there's people who who aren't even getting these, who aren't even given these opportunities, who could beat some of these girls who aren't even getting them. So it's right. like once again, you're being pushed to the side, but you're getting pushed to the side with career high paydays. So it's right. like yeah. it's very hard for me to kind of well, oh well, she's not getting top billing, but she's getting top pay. She's yeah, your championship bonus. Yeah, that, I I don't disagree with that, and um, you know that's Amanda's best way to give you know a huge fu to them. Keep winning, keep making them have to keep paying you, and so I I don't disagree with you at, at all on that. Um, I guess I just to me, if you know, let's say let's say it was Misha, if it was Misha and Amanda again. To me, that fight, because of Misha, even before Mighty Mouse and Borg was canceled, I, that fight, to me, still probably would have been pushed as the main event if it was Misha. And so I guess that's more... A, a better explanation is, yeah, you're right. They're still getting their big pay and everything. But I think if they did it right... They, they they could still push the girls, the females more, and still Amanda make even more money. Um, I think some of the stuff Amanda does did, I I think she kind of hurt herself, and I think like Cyborg has that problem. I so I'm not putting it all on the UFC either, because I, I think the fighters themselves kind of hurt themselves with that sometimes. So I, I guess what I'm trying to do is use way too many words to say. That's a very good point you make, and you're, you're right on that. Yeah. How, how much? How much? How? And just before I let you go, because I know I talk a lot, I just have this question: How? Because I've, I've said this to Raphael before. I know some of the time the UFC they obviously have favorites, but how much of it is on the fighter and their team? Because you see certain fighters who are willing to do every single interview, who are willing to right. talk to every single sponsor, who are willing to take it into their own hands and market themselves a little bit, and then you see other fighters who are like, "Well, the UFC didn't set anything up." But all the fighters I know who are the biggest ones have people setting things up for them outside the UFC. The UFC just right. okays it or doesn't okay it. Certain people seem like they're just waiting. Like, well, the UFC right. didn't do this. Well, what did you do? All right. You what, know, are, what are you paying your management for? All right. You know, look at Felice. But even before she got in the UFC, even before Invicta, she was popular as hell. And sure, her looks played a part in it. But she put herself out there. She did everything she had to do to put herself out there, and a lot of people hated her for that. Well, Fleece created her opportunities. 100% to me, she created her opportunities. And there, there's other fighters who are probably better than her who don't do anything to put themselves out there, who, who don't take those opportunities. That's so, kind of why I had, I took such, um, not... I'm not going to use the word offense, but I definitely 
had some questions when Felice did that interview after her most recent win right. where she was crying and she was saying that's upsetting that younger women that she she basically said where if you're not young or you don't look a certain way you don't get promoted correctly and I wanted to be like you started that <laughs> yeah. like you're like you're the reason you're probably one you and I mean even Michelle Watterson you know she was known as a karate hottie long mm -hmm. before um Invicta came about, so I want to be like, man, like you kind of played a part in that, and yeah. you see why women like Tanya Evinger continue to win, continue to win, continue to win, and they can only get into the UFC by taking a two-week notice fight against Chris Cyborg. And Evinger has spoken out about she believes part of it is because of her age and her her looks. She's not really promoted the uh, same way, so I do find it interesting when you have that dynamic come into play. Yeah, I I I was really I, I'm. Felice, as of late, I've really gotten like behind her and really been supporting her. But when she did that interview, I, I had a problem with that because you're basically saying this worked great for me, but now that it might not benefit me as much, it's a bad idea. Thank you, thank you for saying it. Yeah, like it definitely. All the all the fighters when when they're winning, when they're getting the benefit, like the young up and coming fighters knocking everybody out. He doesn't care about the older guy. But then when he becomes the older guy, all of a sudden it's like you don't you don't focus on the veterans. The veterans aren't making enough money. Every time that's why the same reason they never have a union because people only concern about themselves winning. The only time they care about what's being right and what's wrong is when they start suffering the consequences of what's right and what's wrong. Until then, right. nobody says a word. Yep, totally agree. So let's, let's segue into some of the news that we saw from this past week. And we had a pretty big um, moment where it's now official that John Jones is a former light heavyweight champion and the belt has, and Daniel Cormier has been reinstated as a 205 pound champion. When you heard about Jones's continued struggles, Jason, what was your first thought? Were you surprised? Were you like, let down? Were you disappointed? What, what what was your first thought when you saw that John Jones has failed got another drug test? Actually, my first thought was, let me go on Twitter and see who makes the funniest meme. Um, but after that, you know, it's, it's like you you want to give someone the benefit of the doubt, and I, I try and always do that. But to me, like you can't rob the store three times and then the fourth time when you're accused of it, say, I didn't rob it because your track record says you, you probably robbed it. Mm. And, and that's kind of, you know, I'll, I'll happily say I, I was wrong if it comes out that he was clean and everything. But, but to me, like track record, whether it should or shouldn't plays into it. And so you kind of got to say, A, I'm not surprised. B, what a waste of talent. I, I've never been a John Jones fan, but to me, I've watched this stuff since I was 15 years old, and he's the best I've ever seen. So you, you looked at it differently because most of us are looking at it as fans or people who work around the sport in a different capacity. But as a manager, person who manages fighters, you, ha you had to have a different take on it. You know, imagine if you're that manager, and first you had the guy who was the pound-for-pound pound best. He just had his whole reclamation story. Right. He's on top, and then this, this comes out. How, how do you move him forward? Man, that's tough. Um, if if I, I was managing him, my, my first thing to do would be to 
obviously you, you have to in some way go on offense, but you also don't want it's kind of to me it's like the same reason a lot of times in, in a trial they, 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 the the defendant doesn't take the stand because you don't want to say something that's going to come back and bite you in the ass. So to me, if it's me and I, I think he's got great people around him, um, you kind of go on the off offensive for him, but you still also don't don't say too much until you know exactly what they what should be said. I think that's a lot of a lot of people's problems sometimes is, and I'm guilty of this. I, I I speak too quick sometimes, and I always piss people off. It's, it's what I do. It's what I'm good at. Um, so I think you have to balance it between being a, being a, a offensive and, and getting out there quickly and, and defending him, but also being really, really choosy with the words you use. And from here on out, um, I mean, they've got no choice but to fight it. If I'm them, I'm fighting it. Even if I know 100% he's guilty, I'm fighting it. Because at this point, whenever he comes back, it, to me, no one, he's going to, he's going to be like Cyborg. All these years later, everyone still calls her a cheater. That, that's all he's ever going to be thought of from now on. Even if this gets overturned, that's just how people are going to view him. So I don't really know going forward exactly how you fix that reputation. So what are your thoughts then? I, I want to turn it to Daniel Cormier because even before Jones had the drug test issues, um, Cormier was seen as the, I'll use the term, paper champion. Right. Now that the belt has been given back to him after everyone saw him get badly knocked out, everyone saw him, you know, in tears and they have that ill and they have that ridiculous meme of him going around. Right. Do you think that this kind of put, paints a bad a black eye on the next part of his career if he continues fighting? Or does that does this put him in a positive light as someone that a real champion that the fans can get behind because he's never done anything wrong? I I'm biased because I'm a huge Daniel Cormier fan. Um, but I think he got a lot of hate from people for no reason. I, I think a lot of people like, you know, a lot of people called him fake and, and all this stuff. Um, I, I would hope that some people would have a more positive view of him, but I'm not going to sit here and say, I expect that if I was Daniel, like, I understand why he's going to graciously like, happily take that belt back. But like, if I'm Daniel and, and I want to, um, in, in some way seem more legit, I would tell, I, I'd go to the UFC and say, okay, if I'm the number one contender, tell me who's the number two contender and me and him fight for the belt. No one's the champion now. Me and whoever you got number two, let us fight for it. Um, that being said, honestly, to me, and y'all might have a different opinion, um, no one's going to be seen as the real light heavyweight champion for a long time. What are your thoughts on Ashron? Uh, I think he's right. I mean, because the fact of the matter, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who I respect and a lot, even more casual fans, and they say their whole thing is Cormier got outskilled. Essentially, he got outskilled. It'd be different if 
Jones just ragdolled him and, and gorilla punched him, as Joe Rogan would say. You know, King Konged him, but he act, he outskilled him. He the PDs don't help your chin. They don't help your they don't really help your overall technique. They don't help your ability to adapt and adjust mid mid fight. And what beat Cormier was Jones's chin, his willingness, his switch up of approach, willing to engage Cormier, and then him switching back using his kicks after he had set him up with the low kicks to finish him with a head kick. All that's I, that's IQ, that's toughness, that's mental toughness. And while you can say that the PEDs give you that, that extra confidence, the fact of the matter, it's not a direct result of taking PEDs. So a lot of people just think Cormier got beat by the better man and he just so happened to get bailed out because the better man was a cheater as far as taking PEDs. But based on skill for skill, Cormier didn't have anything for Jones. And if I look at it from a strategical and technical level, like I said, the last two times they fought, Jones is just a much better fighter, and Cormier has shown me nothing that says, based on skill for skill, mind for mind, strategy for strategy, that he could beat Jones. I, I just haven't seen anything that he's done that says that he can beat him. And that's okay. going to be the logic with other people. They're going to say, why did he cheat? But Cormier didn't have, do anything technically that Jones didn't have an answer for. When Jones made an adjustment strategically, Cormier had no answer in, both, in two fights. So a lot of people lean on that, and I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna go for Cormier. I actually think Jason's idea is the closest thing Cormier can get to legitimizing his reign, even though it's just never gonna be legitimate, unfortunately. Well, that's he, why he's gonna have to bear that cross. If you if you read you know all over social media, how many times have you seen when people are talking about John Jones using something? How many people have you seen say he didn't need to do that? because they still know that regardless, John Jones is going to beat Daniel Cormier nine times out of ten. So Daniel's not, he's not going to be seen as the real light heavyweight champion and let's say Gustafson beats him, Gustafson's going to, you're going to, everyone's going to say, well, Jones would beat him. And then Rumble comes back and beats Gustafson. Everyone's going to say, John Jones would beat him. So I don't see anyone being viewed as like the real champion for, for a long time. Who who's the next top contender? Do you take? I mean, that Glover Teixeira um, Misa Misa fight was just moved to December. So who do you book as the next top top contender at two hundred five? To me, Gustafson, and I'll be honest, I know not everyone agrees with me. I thought Gustafson beat John Jones. Um, and when they fought, I don't think Gustafson's better than John Jones. I think John Jones underestimated Gustafson. Um. So to me, if, if I'm in charge, let, let's put Gustafson up against Daniel Cormier and winner's the champion. Okay, I'm not going to uh, disagree with that there so far at all. So um wanted to touch on the next news piece we have where it's Max Holloway. He's waiting on a new contract. So the UFC is start trying to book some big fights. And UFC 217 is a, is a big showcase. We're going to talk about that in the, that card in a second. But what would what would you do with this? Because you have Max Holloway who's looking for a new big contract. And you also got Stipe Miocic looking for a new contract as well. Demetrius Johnson, another champion. He just got a new deal. Is the UFC finding itself in a position where champions are becoming more demanding for the money that, that they get? Are they expecting more and are they kind of demanding more once they get that belt in their hands? Um, to me, honestly, you, you got to take it case by case. Uh, I think some maybe ask for a little too much. I, I think some have a valid point. Um, Stipe defends the title against Overeem 
and Ulfarine makes more money than him. Mm-hmm. That ain't right. And Stipe, like, I, I used to train at the same gym as him. Um, Stipe is the nicest human being you'll ever meet in your life. If he's supposed to do an autograph session for a half hour, he's there for an hour and a half because he ain't leaving until every single person there has come up to him, talked to him, gotten a picture taken with him, everything. And so for Stipe to finally speak up and say something, that, that mean, that's, that's saying something, and that's saying he really thinks he's getting screwed over because that's not, that's not normally Stipe. And to me, it's, it's just outrageous that a challenger in any situation would make more than the champion. Uh, and then there's other cases, um, you know, Max Holloway. Max is legit, but at the same time, if you main event a pay-per-view with Max Holloway, h- how many pay-per-views are you going to sell? So, yeah, know. I think I think that's a good point you're making because a lot of guys, a lot of people, and I actually did an article on this recently, uh, actually just this week came out, a lot of people mistake being good for being a star and all, all being a champion or having a winning streak does is legitimate is legitimize all the hype behind you because you beat quality people. It does not turn you into a star. Beating a star does not make, turn you into a star. It's something in and of yourself as a fighter, and part of it starts with you appealing to a specific demographic that the organization sees, and they're like, oh, well, they appeal to all these people. They're bringing this over. Let's see if we can cross them over to the rest of the people. And a lot of people just keep thinking, oh, well, they're the best. They should get paid more. It's not how it works. Even in the NFL, Peyton Manning was the best quarterback statistically, but he was winning championships. But who made more money during sponsorships? Peyton Manning, because he's more popular. Right. And that's, you know, like Max, if Monica, if she's listening, she's going to yell at me later because she's from Hawaii. So Max Holloway is God to her. But right now, like Max... To me, 90% of the stuff he does is towards the, a, a Hawaiian fan base. They're, they're making marketing him big there. But go talk to you know Bill up in Delaware and ask him who Max Holloway is. He don't have, he don't have a clue. And to me, you're always going to get the hardcore people ordering all the pay-per-views. You need to get the casual fan. And right now, Max Holloway's not doing anything that makes the casual fan have any idea who he is so it's a little bit hard whereas stipe i'm not saying stipe is you know a superstar but more and more people are no starting to know who stipe is he's getting to that point where he is people are going to start ordering pay-per-views because they've heard of that stipe miosic guy his timing of winning the belt actually worked out because he was the first person to bring a world championship to cleveland and then uh, right at the Cavaliers won right after that. So it was like he got a lot of play on ESPN and other shows I saw. And he – I don't want to say he played it up because, if, you know, Stipe is like a diehard Cleveland sports fan. Um, he, he loves the Indians. He played, he played baseball in college. <clears throat> um, but he knows how – he did a very good job of first using that to get the local people behind him but he's been good at using that to branch out to people outside of Ohio. And that's not something everyone is capable of doing. And so that's why I think 
he, you know, he's got a valid complaint. Uh, or, I mean, he, he should get, he should be getting more money than someone trying to take a title from him. Are we moving to a time where fighters are getting away from signing seven and eight fight deals? And you may start seeing one to three fight deals, something that uh, like I, I'm going to attribute it to or kind of liken it to the NBA where players such as LeBron are now signing one. You might get a three-year deal out of these guys. Are we getting to a situation where fighters are going to begin signing those smaller deals too? Uh, to me, if they're smart, because um, even in sports, you, you see those other sports, you see those people that sign their seven and eight-year contracts, and then two years later they're holding out until they get their contract renegotiated, and, and that's why. Even though I live in Cleveland and I can't, I can't stand LeBron James, um, <laughs> but you, dude's the smartest man in the league. Why don't you like LeBron James? Uh, jeez, I'm that weird <laughs> guy that lives in Ohio and, and don't like any. Or lives in Cleveland and do, doesn't like any of the Cleveland teams. Oh, uh, okay. Um, you know, my first tattoo I ever got was the Toronto Blue Jays logo. Name me another person in Ohio that would get a Toronto Blue Jays logo. Oh well, that's a good one. That is that is a good. That is a good. I mean, uh, your Cleveland Indians are doing well. I'll just give you that. Yeah, but he's got they got the Browns in the same in the same state, so that that eliminates that right there. That's I you know my fantasy baseball league. One of the guys in it he called me last night to send me his transactions, and he's like he said, "What about the Indians?" I'm like, "Here's the deal." I don't root for the Indians, but Cleveland, when when the teams are winning, it's, it's a whole lot more exciting. And, and you know that as soon as baseball's over, all you got is the Cleveland Browns. And, and you ain't going to get no wins in, in that sport for a long time. So it's, it's nice to see the Indians doing something. So, you know, I kind of will root for them as long as they ain't playing Toronto. <laughs> well, that's all well and good. So there's one other uh, news story I wanted to talk about before we go and look back to UFC 215 as well. And that covers the announcement of Yoana Jacek facing Rose Namajunas at UFC 217. Um, first and foremost, this is a stat card. You know, Bisbee, GSP, Garbrandt, Dillashaw. Now you got this title fight there too as well. What are some of your first thoughts in seeing uh, Joanna and Rose paired together? Um, if Stephanie Skinner is listening, then I think Rose is going to kick her ass um, since they train together. If Stephanie is not listening, um, I, I think Rose possess, presents a challenge to Joanna if she can get it to the ground. But if it stays standing, I, I there's no one in women's MMA I would I would pick in a in a stand up battle against Joanna. So, but that being said, Rose is as good a challenger as anybody else. I mean, who else is there? You're going to do Claudia for the third time. People don't want to see that again. Oh, they do down the line, but not now. And Rose, Rose might not be known to the casual audience, but among like the diehard women's MMA fans, Rose is incredibly popular. And so I think 
you know, she's as good as anyone. And if she can get it to the ground, who knows? I, I, I'm not going to say she can't pull something off. Yeah, we, we actually had uh, Trevor Whitman on the show a couple months ago. And uh, I, 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 I thought it was a good matchup. Um, I really thought Rose would already have gotten the title fight, but when she had that upset loss to Kovacavich. But um, I, it's like you said, basically, if she can get the fight to the ground, and even if she gets into a scramble, or she can even, even if she gets the takedown stuff, Rose is very creative with her submissions. All she has to do is get her hands on you in a position where she can drag you to the ground. She doesn't have to get a clean trip yeah. or body lock or, or shot on you. She just has to be able to get to a position where she can transition, and the magic yeah. happens. It's just a matter of getting through that wood chipper that's, uh, Joanna, because she throws so much volume and so much, so much variety. It's it's very hard to get a read. It's very hard to get a read on her, and she moves so well and is always changing that range and those angles. It's it's hard to get your hands on her. It's hard to get in position to get your hands on her. It's hard to get in position to re- really exchange with her. And if you make a mistake, she doesn't just hit you with one or two. She she pours it on. And even if she's not knocking you out, she's just basically mentally breaking you down with the ease that she can hit you with, and you can't hit her back with. That's if you ever like way back in, in pro, I'll use pro wrestling again when the four horsemen were all getting started. Um, they always used to say about Ole Anderson that he would take 10 punches just to land one punch. It's kind of the same thing here. Rose has to be willing to take a whole lot to get it into the position she's going to want, and that's kind of going to tell whether she has a chance if she's able to take those 10 punches, so to speak, to get hers. I kind of think this fight is going to look similar to the two Gedalia fights, where I think Rose will be able to get the fight down to the floor early, but Joanna is not going to stay there. She seems to be the hardest person in the world to keep on the mat, and I find it hard to immediately assume that Rose will be able to keep her keep her there when Gadelia struggled so much to do so both times in what eight rounds of or, or fighting. get her there. Gadelia and Andrade are much better wrestlers, much more physically imposing when it comes to getting their hands on somebody and putting them on their back. And they both struggled to, at keeping her there. Um, I yes. do think Rose poses a well, not so much more than Gadelia. Well, see, that's the thing because Gadelia and Andrade poses pose their own type of striking. Uh, dangers. Rose is she's gotten better on her feet, but we know where her bread and butter is, and I would hate to see her try to stand and exchange with uh, Yoana Champion for an extended period of time. Oh, she's going to try. I guarantee you. She's been training with Shevchenko for her last couple fights, mm-hmm. and that's not just to get good work in. That's preparing her for for Joanna. That crispness, the crispness, the crispness, and the the placement and the accuracy on the shot. Valentina can kind of, even though they're different stylists, Valentina can, is a world-class striker. So she's getting used to dealing with the world, world-class world technique and world-class defense and world-class offense. There's a reason she started working with her, and it's not just to help her out either. So she, I guarantee you, she will try her on the feet. And if she doesn't, she'll have no chance of getting a takedown because Rose's takedowns in and of themselves aren't good enough. She has to set them up with strikes. Well, one thing Rose can do, though, that a lot of those other fighters are unable to do, though, is... Rose can pull something off completely out of nowhere. Um, if you look at, and she got that flying arm bar went over, uh, and Katina Katrona, whatever her name is. That's one thing Rose can do is just pull something completely out of nowhere. Where, I mean, still, yes, she has to set it up, and just like those other ones have to set up. But 
in the case of, case of Claudia or Jessica Andrade or whatever, you can be underneath them or whatever and have an idea of what she's trying to set up. Rose can just pull something out of completely nowhere. She really can. She really can. But um, I am looking forward to this fight there, too. And there's also something else I wanted to talk about before we move on to UFC 215. The Ultimate Fighter, uh, that's the season that's on now, I believe it's what, season 26. Who are some of the names that you're watching from this season? I'll, I'll admit, I haven't watched I haven't watched Ultimate Fighter in years. Me but um, who are some of the people that you expect to kind of stand out on this season? Um. Well, first I have to say Roxanne Mataferi because if I don't, uh, Serena DeJesus, she'll probably punch me. They're You're gonna get beat trained. up by a girl. <laughs> I, they all, I, they all threaten me all the time too. Um, <laughs> yeah, the girl fighters are rough, man. They, I got to spar a couple of them from Invicta. It, it was not fun. It was not fun at all. I'll, I'll tell you right now before I get into that answer. Um, Rachel DeVideo, uh, when I was training for my fight. I know you've never heard of her, but she was for a while one of the top-ranked amateur 135s in the world. The girl was getting her hands wrapped for a fight as an amateur, and while she's getting her hands wrapped, someone called her and asked her to fight Sarah McMahon the next week. Rachel said yes, and one week later went three rounds with Sarah McMahon. I, I have sparred with all kinds of fighters, males, all kinds of them. Ain't nobody ever hit me as hard as Rachel, so... Some of them can hit, but um, I, I'm kind of um, Montana Lane. Who she she got Montana? Lane. Um, she changed her last name. She got married. Montana Stewart, rather. Um, I, I'd really like to see her do well. I believe she won her fight last night. I'm gonna expose myself as not being a good women's MMA fan. I haven't watched any of it yet. I'm like DVRing it to catch up. Uh. So I'd like to see Montana really do well. Uh, a lot of people think Barb Honchak's a favorite. I, I think she's been out too long. So I, I don't really follow with that. Uh, to me, the, the favorites would have to be Roxanne or, well, a lot of people wouldn't put her on the list. I'd say Montana. Montana can pull subs out of nowhere. She got, from what I was told, she went with a Darth choke last night. So... I would like to see her do well. I think she has legitimate potential, and I think she's one of the ones who's going to fall into that category of even if she doesn't win, UFC people are going to like her, and she's going to get an opportunity regardless. Yeah, I definitely think she's a great story. And she's someone that, you know, even going through the struggles that she's gone through to get back on the show the first time she was there, I, I definitely think she's someone that the organization would, would bring around, and I would like to see her do some good things there. So let's move on and let's let's look at UFC 215. Let's kind of look let's look back to the card from this past weekend. Uh, first and foremost, I want to talk about the main event that never was with Demetrius Johnson and Ray Borg. Um, you know, it's been moved to UFC 216 on October 7th. So if you were in charge, if you were the man with the power and you had the pen to sign everything down, would you give Borg another opportunity? Would you trust him with a main event slot, seeing how he's already not only cost you a major fight, but he's done this two times before as well. Uh, if it was me, no. But then again, Demetrius needs to fight, and who else are you going to give it to? 
Um, so I, I would like to say no, but then at the same time, like, like I said, who, who else are you going to give it to? Do you, are you upset that they didn't make the fight with TJ Dillashaw? Do you think that they missed the boat on that opportunity or is that something that they can still come around, come around back around to? My opinion, and it's just my opinion, and you can have a different opinion and who's to say, um, I, I think they really wanted that fight. And I think part of the reason they really wanted that fight was to get rid of 125. I just think uh, Mighty Mouse was not interested in that fight. Uh, I and not not because I don't think he thought he could win. I, I think breaking this record is very important to him. So I would have preferred to have seen that fight, uh, and and I think they really wanted to. I just think Mighty Mouse right now didn't want that fight. Uh, you said something interesting there. You said that they're trying to get rid of like, to get rid of one twenty five. You think that they would get rid of the men's flyweight division as they bring in the women's group? I don't think it's. Um, like a corresponding move. I don't think it's getting rid of the men because of the women. I, I just think, I mean, 125, the title, half the time it's, it's defended on, on Fox. Um, True. It, it's, that tells you what they, to me, that tells you what they think about it. And it's, the reality is it's not a marketable division. It's unfortunately, most of the people that buy the pay-per-views, they, they want to see, you know, Stipe and Alistair Overeem beating the hell out of each other. That's what they want to see. And um, yeah, that's very true. I'm not going to disagree with you there. So I, I, pers I, I personally think that they would like to get rid of the 125. I, I think it's unfortunate, but that's what I think. I definitely think that's unfortunate, too. I, I agree with you there, too. They also had another champion on this fight card, and she, unfortunately, is also kind of maligned. They had um, Amanda Nunez defending her title against Valentina Shevchenko, and she successfully kept the belt. Uh, she's still the bantamweight title uh, champion. Excuse me. She won via split decision. First and foremost, I want to ask, how did you score this fight and why? Uh, I gave it to Amanda three rounds to two. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember what rounds were what. Um, but I scored it for Amanda. But I think a case can be made for Valentina. I, I don't think either way that it would have been a robbery. But like it, it pays into plays into my like biggest complaint I have with fans is when they say someone got robbed. It, it's a close fight. There ain't no rob. Now you might think somebody else won, but it's too close of a fight to call it a robbery. That's like my biggest like pet peeve. And everyone always laughs at me whenever there's a close fight, I'll get, I'll get 10 text messages from people like who know I'm going to get pissed off because I'm going to see robbery posts. So I thought Amanda won it, but I wouldn't complain to if anyone gave it to Valentina. So I had it for, excuse me, for, um, Nunez as well. I'm not going to say who uh, Schwan picked, but I had it for... Uh, yeah, I'm back, guys. I, I'm not going to say who, who he picked, but I had Nunez winning um, rounds one, three, and five as well. Um, what I think... I think it was very interesting to see the, the, the response didn't surprise me. I thought that the judges were going to give it to Valentina, um, and I'm kind of surprised that 
Nunez did get the split decision, but the response overall didn't um, surprise me. Uh, Shawan, who did you have winning the main event on Saturday? Honestly, um, I actually thought Valentina pulled it out by a slim margin. What rounds did you give her? Uh, I gave her the second round. I gave her, if I recall correctly, I gave her second, was it second, third, and fourth, and I think I gave Amanda the first and the fifth. I thought the third round could have gone either way, which is where it could have gone either way. I thought, I just thought the pace of the fight was the, it was, she was fighting the fight that Shevchenko wanted her to fight. I thought Shevchenko landed the cleaner um, shots. The only thing that I felt that Nunes did best was she kept on, she wasn't throwing a lot, but she was coming forward and she gave the impression that she's controlling it because Valentina was always circling in a way and backing up and then coming in, but she would never press her advantage. She'd land two or three and then back up. Instead of three, four, five, she'd just get the two and then reset. And it looked like Nunes was kind of taking charge, but I felt that Valentina was controlling the exchanges and was actually showing the better defense and the better counters. Something I find really interesting about what you just said there is that, you know, it, you mentioned the word perception. I think that's a big part of judging. Cause judging is never going to be a solid uh, science. I mean, Diego Sanchez has won so many fights off of aggression and pressure alone that I'm not surprised that that was kind of that was given to Nunez because you're right. She was the one that was continuously coming forward. Um, Jason, can you sp talk about that? Do you think that that perception helped or hindered her in um, the fight on Saturday? I think you got some judges who do not completely understand what they're looking at. It's just like, I, I hate to use it, compare one of my fighters to it, but Jillian, she made her Invicta debut the other day, um, a couple weeks ago. And most of the people who cover women's MMA, all I've seen is them say, 30-27 for Jillian. Yet, it was a split decision. And, and I told Jillian, I said, that's because you have some judges who don't realize that even though you're backing up and you're putting your back on the cage, that you're doing that with a purpose. You're doing that for a reason. And some of the judges, all they see is one fighter moving forward and one fighter backing up, and they don't really understand what they're seeing. I would agree with you, Jason. I actually have had a couple of fighters who I've come up with strategies for, game plans, and after they, like, there's a, there was a, a, a particular fighter who lost the fight, and in my opinion, he won it, but when we were talking about it, I was discussing with him why, why the judges went the other way, and I was like, the guy is throwing at you, and he's not hitting, at you, hitting you, but he's throwing all this volume, and you're not returning fire. Even though he's not hitting you, you might land two or three shots, he's throwing 13 or 14, and they're thinking... If you were either landing that hard, he wouldn't be brave enough to throw 13 or 14, and all they see is you rolling and slipping. Now, I see you getting away from the shots, but nobody, but the judges don't see it that way. And even if you are, the person is just outworking you because you're not firing any, anything back. I actually think Nunes, his corner, won her that fight because Mike Brown is a very good strategist. He's a very good technician, and he had her just coming forward, not really getting hit with anything that would really put her on, on her heels, and just constantly slowly pressuring and giving that impression that she's winning the fight. And then late, since she didn't burn any energy, she goes for the takedowns and gets them. I think, I think Shevchenko's corner should have been like, you need to do a little bit more. Yeah, you're clear the winning, but you've got you've to punctuate these rounds because they're really back and forth, razor-thin rounds. And when it's razor-thin, it can go either way. Like if Nunes would have lost, 
she wouldn't have had a complaint. She wouldn't have had a real argument either because she wouldn't have done enough to put a stamp on the round. The, the takedowns were the most obvious and effective offense. Even though she didn't do anything with them, they were the most obvious and effective thing either girl did in the fight. But to me, even that goes to, to that, that some judges don't always know what they're watching. Even, you know, Amanda, she got the takedowns. And even though I scored it for Amanda, I actually found myself the other day um, almost defending Shevchenko because I said, okay, Amanda got those takedowns, but what happened when it went down? Amanda just kind of stayed there, and then Valentina was actually the one throwing punches from her back. Oh, no, I, I agree 100%. The only thing is, like, when I talk to guys, they, everybody's talking about, well, this is, what, this is what happens, and they weren't doing anything, and I'm like, you can keep telling me, and I'm not directing this towards you, but I talk to their trainers, their coaches, you keep telling me what's really happening, but what does it look like is happening? And right. yeah, the judges should get it, but sometimes they don't. And you have to take that into consideration with your plan a little bit. You can't give up that takedown because if you right. give it up, they're going to essentially give that round to that person. You can't get back up unless you do huge amounts of damage from the bottom. You can't constantly be circling away and up against the fence. And I, I don't want to make anybody get too far away from their game plan, but I'm like, if you're going to do that, then when you get your hands on that person, you got to do a decided amount of damage. You can't just do a little bit of damage. You've got to do a huge amount to balance out the look of it seeming like you're backing up and you're refusing to engage or you're fearful of engaging because that's the impression they're getting. That person's imposing their will on you. You're backing up. You're staying against the cage. You won't engage them. Even though you and I might see it differently, as a fighter's corner, I think it's their job to understand all sides of it and be like, hey, this is the way it's looking. It's tight. You've got to do something to punctuate this. Even if it risks losing it, you have to do something to punctuate this round. It, it, it's too close. Oh, that's, you know, I cornered one of, one of the fighters I manage. Her name is uh, Ashley Hawkins. And she was fighting for an amateur title once. And the her opponent literally just, she'd get the uh, clinch, but she would just hold her, literally do nothing. But to the judges, like it's going to look like she's controlling Ashley. And Ashley could not get them, we could not get the referee to separate them. And to the point at one point, Ashley literally for 10 seconds stayed on the cage and put her hands straight up in the air to show the referee nothing's happening. She's not doing nothing to me. And I think the judges noticed that, and that's why Ashley got the decision, is the judges noticed that Ashley's trying to make it a fight. This girl don't want to fight. And finally, we got the separation when Ashley did that. And it's not the same thing. But it does, you know, actually use that to show what you're seeing is not what's actually happening. Was that what y'all came up with, or did she come up with that on her own? I would love to sit here and tell you that I came up with that and make me look like the most creative person in the world. But that was 100% her. Well, see, and that, that would be a thing. She has, she has what we call high cage IQ. Right. She realized what was happening. She understands how it looks. She did something so obvious that they had to make a reaction to it. Right. Valentina, given her style, all her all her wins have been fairly close decisions. And if I was in her corner, if I was her, I couldn't be completely sure she won the fight. Even when I thought she won it, I was still like, it could go the other way, right. because of just the way it looks. Right. So I mean, your your fighter made an adjustment that Valentina either di didn't decide to make, or didn't think it was necessary to make, and that's essentially what cost her the fight. Right. You know, in my opinion. Ah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. 
And Sean, you said some stuff about coaches and coaches and, and adjustments. I, there is a topic from that coaching angle I want to talk about from later on in the card as well, too. So I'll touch on that in the situation there. So, but, but before we do, I want to ask about Amanda Nunez and say what's next for her. Um, who do you pin, who do you tap next as the uh, as a top contender? Do you look at Holly Holm? Do you say Juliana Pena? Do you give a title shot to Kat Zingano? Who do you go to next? If, if you're going for legitimate sport, you have to go to Raquel Pennington. She hasn't yes. lost in like almost two years, and she's won she's won four in a row, and she's she beat Misha she beat Misha Tate, she uh, finished Jessica Andrade, she's beat Betch Kohea, and she beat Elizabeth Phillips. Not exactly a murderer's row, but the fact of the matter is she's won and looks more impressive in every single fight since she lost to Holly Holm, and she gave Holly Holm a tough match. That was like a split decision win in and of itself. So if you're going legitimacy. You got to go Pennington if you're going for money, which is what Nunes wants the UFC wants. It's probably gonna be Holly Holm. She's the biggest name out there, and uh, she's coming off of a KO win. So I mean, it it, it really be Holm. I, I think Holm's a bad style matchup for Nunes in a lot of ways. But if you're looking for money and looking for name brand familiarity, then you got to go home. I, I, I'm I everything that was just said. I 100% agree with. Uh, Rocky, 100% to me, deserves the fight. And honestly, I thought you mentioned her fight with Holly. I thought she beat Holly. Um, to me, Rocky, 100% deserves it. But I, I have a feeling they give it to Holly. My preference would be for Holly to go up to 145 and fight Cyborg. Um, just because who else is going to draw money against Cyborg right now? But... I think it'll be Holly, and it should be Raquel. I, I agree with that 100%. Okay, I definitely appreciate both of those uh, breakdowns there. Let's look at some of the rest from of the card from UFC 215. Let's talk about Henry Sahito first. Uh, do you think there was a conversation I was listening to earlier today where some people were pitching the idea of maybe giving him a shot at Demetrius Johnson instead of Ray Borg as looking because of how good he looked against Wilson Hayes? Did, did Henry's growth... Uh, surprise you on Saturday, or was that just the type of finish that you were expecting? Um, for I think it's what he needed to do. Uh, I think he needed to do something to make a statement, for lack of a better term. So, I'll be honest, I actually thought, uh, I actually picked Haste to win that fight. I was obviously very, very wrong, which happens a lot. Um, so I, I think it's the kind of performance he needed to have. But to me, that alone is not enough to give him another title shot that quickly. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Even the, the, It was an impressive win. I thought he was going to win it. Hayes is physically, he's slowing down. And that the, the athleticism that he, he used to mask his holes in his game um, didn't it didn't isn't there anymore and he was against a guy who he could couldn't just take down left and right or control up against the fence so really it became a dis a distant striking game and Cejudo as I said last week he was he fought Benavides so he had that one camp he was supposed to fight Sergio had another one was keeping in shape working on the skills in between and basically he had almost three and a half camps to really refine this tech this style and work on the finer points as far as the angling in angling out and the accuracy of his shots that's three camps in a row without having a fight. So he really, except for only the one fight against Benavidez, so he really had a chance to master what he was trying to do and figure out the best way to approach it. He's still a world-class athlete. There's very few guys in the UFC who can match his athleticism. 
and I was I was impressed with what he did. But the thing about it is, he was facing a guy who's on the downside technically, and a guy who has very obvious limitations defensively. Mighty Mouse doesn't have those 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 wide open holes, and his ability to transition from striking to to clinching to wrestling to submissions is still going to be the biggest difference between him and Cejudo. Cejudo can't just control the distance and the range like that against Mighty Mouse because Mighty Mouse can transition ranges and threaten you in a, in a multitude of areas. Hayes didn't have the wrestling, and even though he's the top-notch Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, he didn't have the style of grappling that could really test Cejudo. Cejudo wasn't getting pressured, really. Cejudo wasn't getting countered, and he wasn't really having to face it in anything in the grappling exchanges that would put him into trouble. So I haven't seen Cejudo against a guy who could really test him on a certain level. Wilson Hayes wasn't the guy, so I can't say that he's done enough. It was impressive, but it didn't answer any of the questions that Demetrius asked the last time they fought. I still don't know that he could make it through. If he, he got in a similar spot with Demetrius again, I don't know that Demetrius doesn't finish him in a, in a similar way because Hayes didn't, wasn't able to force that fight into those positions so he could show us those growth in those specific instances. So, okay, I, I can definitely like that breakdown there. I think that, so, so, I think it was a, it was an interesting uh, win for him. I'm not too sure. I also agree that I don't think you put him right in that title shot um, situation immediately. I would have rather they have gone with Sergio Pettis, but um, I do think that it was a good win from him for him, and he definitely looked good. And there were other guys who got good wins as well on Saturday in Rafael Dos Anjos and Jeremy Stevens. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos, do you think he's next in line for a welterweight title shot? I feel like they don't really have too many other people to go with right now. So could he kind of angle for a shot at, at the belt against Tyron Woodley sooner rather than later? Um, I, I think he's someone who can benefit from the, just basically the way you said it. There, who else really is there? Uh, so I think he can benefit from that. And I, I'm a huge fan of his. He's one of my absolute favorites. So on a personal level, I would love to see that. Um, but I, I don't think he's got the, the style to, to beat Woodley. That's just me, um, my personal opinion. So I, I think whether he deserves it right now or not is, is a question, but I think he can benefit from the lack of other logical contenders. I don't know if he can beat Woodley, but I'll tell you this much. His style, with his range of skills, at least offensively, and how he likes to counter everything you throw at him, he can make Woodley fight because Woodley's been facing yeah. guys who were so afraid of taking his power and they won't counter him. Rafael Desanio's whole game is around if you throw a shot, whether it lands or misses, I'm countering heavy. So Woodley wouldn't be able to get by on that. I'm just going to move around and throw one shot and scare guys off. He's not going to scare him off. He might knock him out, but he's not going to scare him off. He's, he would have to fight Desanio's. So we'd find out if Woodley can be, he keeps saying I'd be exciting if a guy really came for me. Well, we'd find out because Rafael Desanio's would come out putting pressure on from the word go. He wouldn't be trying to hit the angle, dip around, out slick him. He's coming to fight, and he's going to be throwing really heavy counters and uh, really heavy leads on him. So Woodley, would, Woodley wouldn't have the option of just controlling him with movement and feints and the threat of a takedown. Desanius is a good enough grappler, at least in his mind, he is, that he feels he can handle that on the ground. So he's going to be real free with his hands and his strikes and his pressure. I had the idea of taking Dos Anjos, instead of putting him right in a title fight, putting him up there with Jorge Masvidal and let them two fight it out. 
Um, I think that even though Masvidal is coming off of a loss to to Damian Maya, you know, he looked good. He looked a lot better than a lot of people expected him to in that fight. And I think that with his ability, the way he showed that he could stop a lot of takedowns, too, it, it adds that added intrigue to what it would look like if, if he fought Woodley. I wouldn't be mad if they put him in there immediately against Tyron either. But I think that that's a good way to determine who gets uh, the, the next title shot. Well, all those guys have dance partners. Though. Covington is fighting Maya, and you got Masvidal fighting Thompson. I, know, so, I completely forgot about that fight. You are totally right. I forgot all about that fight. Only, per- only person is Lawler, and I don't think Lawler's, I don't think Lawler's going to take it. I, I don't think. My only problem, too, is even if you could do uh, Masvidal against him, is to me you're pretty much 100% at that point eliminating a future title contender. If Masvidal loses, he's not sniffing a title shot for a long time. If Dos Anjos loses, then he goes back. I, I'd rather see Masvidal get another win, and then he's ready to fight the winner of Dos Anjos and Woodley. Okay, I, I like that there. So another guy who got a big win was Jeremy Stevens when he mangled Gilbert uh <laughs> Melinda's leg. I've been looking at pictures of it on Instagram. It's almost like looking at a train wreck. I would look at it and I can't look away. I look back. I look back. Um, what were your thoughts? Well, did, did, did this win surprise you? And is this the big win that Jeremy Stevens kept uh, failing in? You know, he, he failed against Frank Yeager, the Anthony Pettis fight from years ago. Is this that fight where he just continued? Where it, did he finally get that win that just continued to elude him year after year? I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one first, Jason, just because oh. I, I went on a tirade about Jeremy Stevens. I don't dislike the dude. He can fight. He's athletically gifted. But last week I said if you want to be Jeremy Stevens, you have to box and you have to circle. If you can move in a circle and switch directions and throw a jab and throw a right hand, you can essentially beat him. Gilbert Melendez is like one of the most seasoned guys in mixed martial arts, and he just stood right in front of him and let Jeremy chop his leg up. Like he didn't start trying to defend it or counter the the kicks. Until like the second round after the damage had already been done. And I'm not saying Jeremy didn't do a good job, but if you stand in front of Jeremy Stevens, everybody who stands in front of Jeremy Stevens loses. Every time he loses, it's because a guy moves, comes in on an angle, exits on an angle, circles. Every time somebody does that, he loses. And for some reason, Gilbert Melendez just did not do that. I mean, by the time he even had a chance to do it, it he was already compromised. So I, I was really impressed by that win because he pulled the trigger. But then again, I, I couldn't even be that impressed because Gilbert Melendez just gave him the easiest path. He like did everything you'd want him to do to lose a fight. It's like if Amanda Nunes ran at Ronda Rousey and got in a clinch with her. Well, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> you're you're going to get tossed and submitted. He stood right in front of Steven. So I'd like to give Steven's credit for evolving and being so varied and technical. But I, I would have had to see Gilbert Melendez fight a little bit smarter before I could give him that kind of credit. And Gilbert Melendez did not fight that fight a smart way, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. I actually, I, I picked Stevens to win, um, partially because I didn't know what Gilbert still had. Um, so, so that was part of it. Um, Jeremy Stevens, if, if you fight the kind of fight he likes, he's going to beat you. If you fight smart, you're going to beat Jeremy Stevens. And I'm not saying that to knock Jeremy. I'm not saying that to knock him at all. But to me, 
there's a way to fight him and pretty much the way the way you just said it there's a way to fight you're you're not knocking him at all i've had to scout him for guys before and i've told him it's real simple fight smart move you beat him stand in front of him and trade you're gonna lose you're like well what's your technical assessment i just told you that's all you have to do it's not that easy yes it is uh i you know it, it was a nice win but to me, if there's a if there's a blueprint to fight Jeremy Stevens, that blueprint would basically just say, "Don't do what Gilbert Melendez did." So, with that in mind, there, I want to talk about Gilbert Melendez, and I can't remember um, the other guy who lost the the Gavin fight. Um, Gavin, what was his Gavin last Tucker. name? Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker. Okay. So, both of these guys got battered, okay, badly. And there's a conversation going on right now about whether or not their corners did them a disservice by not stopping the fight. I mean, Nate Diaz isn't going to stop a fight if the building crumbles and Gilbert is in the middle of the cage still fighting. He's still going to expect the guys to keep fighting. But, you know, Gavin Tucker was getting hurt badly and the fight kept going on. It brought up a question like, when was the last time you saw a towel get thrown in? The last time I could think of was when Nate was losing to Josh Thompson and Josh is finished finishing him off and the corner threw the um the towel in. But did their corners do them a disservice by not stopping this fight? There there's actually no discussion to be had because Gavin Tucker's corner did him a huge disservice. Like I don't know if it's his wife or his fiance or his girlfriend, but I'm sure his corner knows her. And they made her sit through watching her, her significant other take an unnecessary, possibly career-altering beating just so they could have the chance to come back. There was no chance he was going to come back. He couldn't match the pace. The physicality got to him, and he, he had no answers. He was just basically getting beaten up for the sake of saying, I went the full three rounds, which doesn't really mean much. As, as I said this before, and also to bring the full circle, um, a good friend of the show Joe Delgoy, the guy, I can't say his name right, he, he was the boxing coach at Strong Style. Yep. He had a fighter who fought on that Superfly card. When his fighter was getting it taken to him and the ref says, I'm going to stop it after this round, Joe said, no, 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 no. If he doesn't show you, show you something, I'm going to stop it. And he stopped the fight because this guy was not able to defend himself anymore and he was just taking a beating and there's no need to continue taking a beating when there's no chance of coming back and winning the fight. MMA corners don't do that. They're they're too brave with their fighters. With their when they're not in there, they're too brave. They're like, oh well, he can take it. I know he can come back. He's got heart. That has nothing to do with it. I'm not even talking about if he can come back. Certain fights you shouldn't come back from because the damage it does to you is career altering. You might have a career that's two, three, four years shorter than it should be because you took that kind of beating. Or worse yet, you might have a career where you could have been elite. You you're on the trend upwards to moving towards elite. Now you plateau at a certain level and you never can recover and get back, ever achieve your true potential because they let you take an unnecessary beating. You can lose a fight and then you can lose a fight. And they let Gavin get beat the fuck up on the way to losing a crushing loss. And that affects you psychologically and physically. He has like broken bones in his face. And I know he's okay with it, but that's why the corner's there and that's why the ref is there. You're supposed, you're supposed to protect the fighter from himself. Right when the fighter's about to break, or they're about to give in, you step in for them. You protect them psychologically from giving up, and you protect them psychologically when they don't want to give up, and they're just going to take that beating. That's what your job is. And if I was in a corner like that, I'd have been like, dude, we're calling the fight. And they'd be like, we're firing you. You can't be in the corner. I don't care. I'm not, letting, I'm not watching this happen. It's just, it's a certain lot. To me, it's a certain amount of professionalism. And Gavin's cool with it, and I'm sure his corner, that he said not to stop it until they have to carry me out on the stretcher. That, that's nonsense. You're not fighting for your life. 
it's a sport, it's a business. You have a family to go home to, and it's partly their job to protect you. If the ref's not doing his job, your corner's got to do their job. And his corner did not do his job. I'm not giving the ref a pass, but it's clear the ref is, in, is either really bad or incompetent. So now we know he can't do his job. Who's the next authority figure? The corner. The corner needs to stop it, and they did not. In my opinion, they just failed. And if I was one of his relatives or his friends, I'd be trying to fight those dudes. I don't care what he said. I'd be trying to fight him. Oh, that's um, – you mentioned Joe Delgide. Um, Cody Stevens, who, who fights out of strong style, he had a fight, uh, eh, I don't know, maybe like a year ago here in Ohio. And he wasn't getting like beat up, but his leg was so jacked, he literally could not stand up. He would try and stand up and fall down. And, you know, the, the strong style corner, Marcus Marinelli and everyone, they're, they're yelling at the referee to stop the fight. And he was not acknowledging Cody's own corner telling him to stop the fight. And eventually what happened is uh, Matt Trekovich, who's the promoter, he's also Cody's manager. He came down, he picked up a towel and threw in the towel. And the referee actually, I don't think he even noticed that at first. And then he finally stopped it. So you, you had Cody's own corner telling the referee, stop the fight, and the referee ignoring that. And so in, in, in the case with the, the, the UFC fight, I think the corner needs to step in, but I also think you you need referees who who need to realize enough's enough. Somebody's not coming back. I, I wouldn't have let him out for the second round. I saw Trevor Whitman pull somebody in between rounds. I'd have been like, nah, it's, that's enough, dude. I don't like how this ref's doing this. And if you want to fire me later, we're not cool. That's fine, but it doesn't take. I mean, you train. Raphael's trained to compete. You can be. You know, it doesn't really take much to put your lights out. It doesn't really take a whole lot to do damage where your quality of life is impaired at least temporarily and that dude took a hell of a beating like i'm watching this like i don't mind seeing people get beat up i can handle that but it was a little uncomfortable after a little bit it just started getting uncomfortable like okay when are we going to start calling this like somebody should really do something at this point like if i saw somebody in the street getting beat up like that even if i didn't know them i'd probably stop the fight i'd be like whoa whoa whoa, we got to stop this You definitely did take a bad beating there for sure. Um, let's let's. I, I don't. I was going to talk about uh, Ilir Latifi, but we can come back to him on another day. Um, let's look at UFC Fight Night One Sixteen. It's not a lot to pull from this card. There are some interesting points that I, I want to see, but um, the main the main draw is Dave Branch and Luke Rockhold, uh, and this is an, an an intriguing fight, and it's intriguing because it's one of those fights where. I wouldn't be totally surprised if Branch Branch finds a way to win. He's one of those guys. I feel like he just makes it ugly, and he surprises a, a lot of people. What are your thoughts on this main event and the uh, chances for both men? Uh, Jason, you can go ahead and start. Um, I think personally, I I know I'm kind of in the minority here, but I see Rockhold winning and I mean, winning fairly quick. Um. Which means if you're a gambler, put all your money on David Branch. But um, I see Rockhold winning quick. <clears throat> I think for Branch to win, he, he's got to get out of the first two rounds. I think after the first two rounds, I, I think David Branch can then take over. But I just don't know if I see that happening. Yeah, I'd have to say something close. Branch isn't as good an athlete as Rockhold. He's not as dynamic a striker. He did make one good point on the countdown. He said, 
Luke's got a suspect chin and he can't box. And the fact of the matter is Luke's chin isn't the, isn't the best and his boxing is a little bit subpar and to be honest his uh his stand up defense is a little is a little shaky. I've I've seen a couple fights where he's gotten he's gotten dinged up on the feet by everybody. Bisping knocked him out. Machida was putting hands on him before he took Machida down. Machida was countering him and landing leads, hooks, straights, crosses, everything on him before he took him down and took over that fight. And Weidman was putting some heat on him as well. Um, so I think Branch can get to him. The thing is, Luke is such a better athlete. He's so dynamic with his kicking game. And even though his boxing isn't any good, his explosiveness and his overall, the power and the speed he's able to generate kind of mask that. I'm not saying Branch can't take advantage of it. It's just going to be really hard because I don't know that Branch has been in with the level of physical athletic talent. And when you're not used to, when you've been facing kind of second and third tier talent, the jump up to first tier talent is kind of jarring. So it's like, um, it's like J- Jason said earlier, the f- if he gets out the first two rounds, he'll have time to acclimate and maybe he can walk Luke down because Luke hasn't been active and maybe he can exhaust them. But it's going to be really hard to get out those first two rounds because Luke is such a good finisher. You give him anything and he can finish with strikes or submissions and he, fin- and he finishes brutally fast. He's very good in transition when it comes to finishing. Whether it's transitioning to ground and pound or transitioning to submissions, he is very dynamic. And it's going to be hard for me to picture Branch somehow getting out of those spots. Now, if he can, we have a whole other discussion. But it's hard for me to picture how he's going to do it out of a flash knockout or something of that nature early. I don't see how he gets out of those early two rounds. How do you think it goes down? Uh, I'd probably say Luke's probably going to get a submission. If anything, he'll they'll get in some kind of exchange. Luke will hurt him, and then he's going to just transition to submission and get and, and, and finish him. Probably some. I don't know which. Probably in the first two rounds. I mean, if it gets in round three, I'll. I, it, it's fifty-fifty, but I, I don't know if it gets to round three. I, I'm not even sure if it gets out of round one. That's no disrespect to David Branch, but this is a step-up fight for him. As good as he is, this is an athletic and technical and resume-level step up for him. He isn't being beaten up on those kind of guys in the WSOF. He's been beaten up on, like, I don't know, like like the Ed Hermans and, and people of that caliber. He hasn't really been beating top-end fighters over there. So this is going to be a big jump for him, a big adjustment. The only question is whether Luke's 100% focused or he's just his mind somewhere else and he's too cocky and he, get, he has to pay for it. If he, if he comes in to do business, he, he should he should win handily, in my opinion. What about you, Jason? Um, I, you know, similar. Um, I, I, I would, I, I'd be more towards. I, I see it as a TKO finish on the ground. Uh, in the second round, probably. I, I think Branch is tough enough that he can get out of the first round, but I, I just can't see him getting out of the second round. I, I see Rockhold pretty much dominating those first two rounds, and at some point whether you know dropping him or taking him down i just see him getting on top and not letting branch up okay okay so um what do you, is this enough of a fight to get the winner into the title picture i think that branch has a longer way to go than rocco but rocco has a fought in almost a year and a half now so is this the type of fight that puts either man into the um, title picture with the big win branch no I don't think because, again, he's someone that, unless you're a diehard fan, you don't know him, and it's going to be hard for them to convince people to spend money to watch David Branch fight for a title. Um, 
and, and even Rockhold, to me, I'd rather see a couple wins. But I can see them fast-tracking it and giving him a title shot. Yeah, um, the division's so thin, and everybody's kind of winning and losing back and forth. There's nobody who really stands out. I mean, um, I mean, Tim Boshi had a big win against Johnny Hendricks, but Hendricks is a blown-up welterweight. Weidman had his first win after losing to, you know, beating Gastelum, but Gastelum's a blown-up welterweight. Uh, who else is there? Jacare, he'd be coming back off of a knockout loss to Whitaker. Romero lost a decision to Whitaker. Um, Bisping and GSP are already tied up. I mean, there's not really a lot of guys who are in a position to actually, you know, who are really in a position at all. The, all the name guys, I mean, they lost Musasi. I don't, I don't really know who in the middleweight division has put so many wins together and has a big enough name where they could, in, where they'd really be ahead of Luke Rockhold or even David Branch. If David Branch beats Luke Rockhold, name me another middleweight who's had a better win other than Whitaker in the past year and a half. Mm, middleweight, none. Um, yeah, he, the Rockhold's already beat Wyman. He's beat Boats. He's beat a couple other guys. I mean, there's no other middleweight who's who would have a, who would have a win over a former champion who is still a top five fighter in the division. Branch would be the only guy. So, I mean, even though he wouldn't sell, legitimately wise, he'd have he he'd have an argument. He'd have an argument, that. but I think that's a, they, that's. I he'd lose that argument. He would lose it, but he'd have it. <laughs> but, I mean, even if they were to make that, I, I think then you're looking at a, a Fox fight as opposed to a pay-per-view fight. Yeah, Robert Whitaker would beat the hell out of him. Yeah. Well, that's, that's definitely some, um, some, some, strong, some strong opinions right there, but, I mean, I'm not going to go too far. I, I, even though he hates being called Bobby Knuckles, that's his nickname <laughs> as far as I'm concerned from now on, and I definitely would, would pick him in both of those fights there, too. So, um... First and foremost, Jason, I want to say thank you for... Oh, wait, wait, wait. oh, oh sorry. Uh, sorry, can I interrupt you for just a second, Rafael? Go ahead, go right on in, go right on I, I, have, a, I have a listener, uh, Victor O, from Twitter. He asked me, he wanted to talk to, he wanted Jason's opinion on this, because Victor Uh-oh. has aspirations of getting into fighting as, a, as an amateur initially, and he wanted to know, do managers actually scout out amateur fighters? Like, is that common, or do they not start um, picking them until they turn pro? Here's the deal. Most, most managers have no interest in amateurs they just they don't um because most managers are it's the business and what percentage of a fight person is a manager going to get from an amateur nothing because there's no fight purse um that being said and and i don't say this to like make myself sound good because i'm the exact opposite although someone on twitter yesterday told me i'm just trying to be a celebrity um i for me, it's different because I don't view this as a business. I, my business, I want to be a personal trainer and have a successful personal training business. Um, so me, I like amateurs. So there are out there, you know, Jillian took her from amateur to Invicta. And I'm not saying I did it. I'm just, you know, Rach Wiley, amateur to Invicta. I like working with amateurs because to me, it's so much more fun to start out with someone and build something great than to jump on the bandwagon of something that's already great. Um, so, and, and I, I'm not the only one. There's other ones out there. Uh, to me, if you're, if you're looking for a, a manager as an amateur, don't jump on the first one that says, hey, I'll manage you. 
don't because as an amateur you're so much easier to i hate to say it like this but if, if you're an amateur fighter you're so much easier to take advantage of you can be lied to and sold everything in the world and you're much more likely to believe it so if you're an amateur that wants a manager talk to a few of them don't don't jump on the first one because the first one nine times out of ten is going to bullshit you and there's a lot of people that say amateurs don't need managers and because there's no money in it or whatever and in a sense that's right but in a sense it's not you know rach you know i mentioned her her third fight we had a banner full of sponsors there's stuff that a manager can do for a fighter amateur fighter so it's not uh, it's not as cut and dry as people think it is. It's not just about getting a percentage of a fight purse. So I'm all for it. If you're an amateur fighter and you want a manager, get one. But just don't jump on the first one that says, I'll manage you. Because I promise you, nine times out of ten, he's lying to you. And he's going to sell you everything in the world. And you're, you, you are easier to lie to and you are easier to take advantage of. Because you haven't been around long enough. To know the difference if that makes sense perfect sense thank you very much for that answer i appreciate your passion for the sport and wanting to help people like when i help fighters people always think i'm trying to name drop and brag i'm like i just like helping people somebody right. saw me on twitter thought i had good analysis thought i could break things down hey can you help somebody can you help this local fighter can you help this big fighter i'm just trying to help it, it's got nothing to do with being famous i just like knowing i'm helping so i, no. I recognize that in you and i, I admire that it's you know and I'm not saying I'm the only one does it because there's a lot of them, but you know, like I'll go ahead and expose. Jillian just fought for Invicta. She won her fight and she got her win bonus. I did not take a single penny out of that fight. Stephanie is about to fight for Combat the Americas pretty soon. Um, no, nothing set up, but she's going to fight for them. Um, she's getting married in a couple weeks. That's a lot of money. I don't care, but I'm not taking money out of her fight purse for that. From that, this girl's got a lot of money to spend on a wedding. So, it's it's not about business. It's it, to me, and and not just to me. There's other ones. It's it's about you. If you're in a position to help someone out, do it because eventually you're going to need help with something, and you're going to be pissed off if you can't find anyone willing to help you. That's definitely very true. That's definitely some um, a perfect way to end too, because that's that's exactly the whole point. I mean, I think that managers should be they they, they should have a stronger role in MMA. I, I was listening to something earlier today where they were talking about the show and win money that is still going on in MMA today, and I think that that's a problem. But it almost seemed as if people thought that managers couldn't help with that. So like, I think that there's still a growing space for management within MMA as a whole. And I, I tell everyone I manage, the first thing I tell them anytime is always let me be the bad guy. If you're supposed to get something more or you deserve something more, let me be the one that goes and pisses off the matchmaker and the promoter demanding more. And I, I think that that benefits the fighter long term because then they don't look like they're the ones causing problems. Yeah, yeah, very true. That's, so, that's what, I have a friend who played in the NFL. He said that's one of the first things his agent said. You don't, you don't say anything. You just smile, go along with it. Let me 
let them rake me over the coals. That's my job. My image doesn't take a hit. Your image will, and that'll cost you money. I, I, I seem to piss people off a lot anyways, so to me it's just... Well, we, we like you, actually. I thought you were pretty cool. <laughs> Raphael, did you think differently? Yeah, man, I definitely I appreciate you having you on the show, man. I'm glad you took the time out to help us out. Anytime. Yeah, and if you, if you have any fighters, you know, who want to come on before they have a fight, we're, we're always looking to have fighters on to tell their stories and share their perspective from the fighter's perspective. You know, we're, and we're, we cover women's MMA a lot. So, you know, if they ever want to come on the show, feel free to let us know. Any one of them, y'all are more than welcome to it. And the person that sent you that tweet or whatever, if, if he wants to hit me up, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. If he's got any questions, like I can help him with just whoever you are, Victor, I think. Victor, yeah, he's up. listening to the show. I'll make sure he uh, gets in contact with you. Okay. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. I'm not a big fan of putting myself out there very much, but I pay attention to you on Twitter, and I know I felt good about coming out. So, well, we definitely appreciate you to take some time out for us this week. So, um, we definitely thank you for that, and we'll, we would gladly stay in touch. And um, with that in mind, everybody, be sure to. Listen to this, this edition of our show. Like and share our content across all of our channels. And be sure to check us out next week when Shawan and I will be back. Talk about uh, UFC Fight Night 116 and anything else that goes down. Also, Triple G Canelo Saturday. If you're free, watch the fight because I think it's going to be a hell of a battle and someone's going home. Uh, someone's getting carried out of that ring. I think yeah, it's going to be it's good. The, it's, it's, the best, box, be best boxing fight you can have this year, probably, probably in the past. Five years, so everybody really should tune into this. Thank you for listening, Jason. You did an outstanding job. Thank you very much for coming on the show and letting us address this issue with somebody who's in the the middle of the business aspect of it. We talk about it all the time, but to get that other side has been a great been a great experience for us. So thank you very much. Thank you for the fans. Uh, sorry to talk over you, Raphael. I know you're used to it by now, but I apologize. No, no problem, man. No problem. Thank you, and uh, we'll be back next week, guys. Have a good night, everybody.